We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it. You made it to church. Man, it's good to see you guys. And I just want to welcome everybody in downtown at our West Side campus, Monterey, Mexico. We love you guys. We are so honored to be able to do church together. And uh, again, if we haven't met on Pastor Peter, we, we got this whole thing started a little over 17 years ago. And I, I just, you know, before I, I dive into my message today, though, I, I wanted to just quickly give a shout out, a big thanks to all the volunteers who made Easter Sunday this last weekend so absolutely incredible. Man, I, I just love this church. So many people, they just, they lay it out, and I love that. I, we, we, we had a huge number of people give their lives to Christ for the first time this last week, which you have to understand, just, man, how fun that is, just to see people encounter God for the first time. And I, I just, Carolyn and I are just so humbled to be a part of a church community uh, with people that are just that committed, and I, I'm just, I'm proud of you guys, I'm proud to be a part of this, and I, I realize that, you know, even as our church grows a little larger, I, it, it's, it's a little harder for even Carolyn and I just to, to know everyone here intimately, but our, our heart is still the same. We want to adopt you into our family, and I, I just, so I, but one of the things that I'm always encouraging newer people to do is just come hang out in the foyer for just an extra 15 minutes, right? Just come 15 minutes minutes early, stay 15 minutes late, and just get to know a few people, even if it's a little uncomfortable for you. And I, I'm just going to be honest, okay, as an introvert, I am not like, yay, foyers, you know what I'm saying, for the people. But I, I just, you know what, I always end up having a divine conversation where either A, I'm able to encourage someone, or B, I get to receive encouragement from the Lord. And I, I want to encourage you just Come 15 minutes early, stay 15 minutes late. There's certain things about the gospel that, that can only be caught, not taught, okay? And I, I'm saying that because you can get stuff out of a church service, but then there's other stuff that you can only get through divine fellowship, and that, that means being connected to the body of Christ. And here's the deal, okay? I know if, you, if you've been a part, maybe, maybe you, you came out of kind of a dysfunctional church and, or a ritualistic church, I realize that that kind of stuff can be a little hard at first because maybe you got a little PTSD or maybe you're just like, mm, I don't know. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like I, I just, I, I get it. I just want you to know I get that. Because, um, you know, but, but at the same time, sometimes those same traumas can be the very thing holding us back from the greatest joy ever. And so I, I just, I, I, I'm gonna actually explain today why a lot of Christians aren't experiencing fullness of joy. Uh, and, and to do this, what we're gonna do though, is I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to one of the Easter Bible texts that, that we've been hitting over the last couple of weeks, but I wanna hit it from a totally different angle. And, and so this is kinda like Easter Sunday part two. Is that okay? Okay, so because I, I just, ah, there's so much good stuff in there, and I want to hit it again. And, and so if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. Matthew 27, I'm going to have it on my fancy little screen here. Matthew 27, it's kind of interesting because um, there's, there's, in the context, we're going to read about Jesus' death on the cross, 
And uh, we're gonna read about kind of what some of the things that happened while he was dying on the cross. And, and there's a lot of details here that you, it's easy to miss or you're, you know, you're like, I don't even know what that is talking about. And you're just, you know, and, and I wanna hit some of those because they're actually more profound than, than maybe you previously thought. Okay, so from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, a lot of people don't realize that what Jesus was doing is he was quoting the first line of Psalm 22, okay? So keep in mind, they didn't call it Psalm 22 in those days, they called it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, okay? That was actually, they called it by its first line. And so what Jesus was actually doing there, a lot of people miss this, Jesus was actually saying, I am the fulfillment of that messianic prophecy, okay? So even on the cross, he's preaching to people, what? It's crazy. I mean, talk about, talk about creating a moment. And all the Jewish people, they knew exactly what he was doing. It was like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, that's right, Psalm 22. Like, and they would go back to it in their minds and they would start to see what Jesus was doing from a totally different angle, okay? So just, I, I wanted to point that out because a lot of people miss this kind of stuff. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Like, you know, again, there's all these ideas about what the Messiah would do. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine, vinegar, put it on a stick, offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now just leave him alone and let's just see if Elijah comes to save him. And, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And so we kind of see the moment in which he died and of course, that's where things start getting freaky and start getting kind of crazy, okay? And if I could say even maybe a little fun, uh, even though that sounds a little weird to say that about a dark moment, right? But, but just watch what happens next, because this, is, this is, okay. Sorry, I'm a little too excited. Gotta just calm down, Peter, calm down. Okay, so at that moment, this is kind of weird, right? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from what? Top to bottom. Now, it's kind of a weird detail, and then it just kind of moves on, right? Because most of us, when we're reading it, we're like, a curtain, okay, that's interesting. And then we're immediately caught up by the next thing. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. <laughs> Grandma? You know, like, <laughs> what's going on, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying. Just, you gotta fully absorb the weirdness and the craziness of all of this. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now, the rest of the story, obviously, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, and that's what we celebrated this last week, but 
I wanna return to a few details in this text because there's just a couple things that I think it's easy to miss. Obviously, dark from, from noon to 3 p.m., in case you don't know kind of the Jewish way of referring to hours. In other words, the middle of the day was dark. How weird is that? And then dead raised, which is symbolic of the power of death is broken, and so all sorts of crazy things are happening, just getting people thinking about afterlife, right? Which is what Jesus wanted. And then when Jesus died, it was an earthquake. I remember reading about a scholar who pointed out that even non-Christian historians in that time noticed an earthquake and total eclipse of the sun right around that time. And so isn't that kind of crazy just to have this other verification of things going on on planet Earth, but you know, one of the things that I always wondered, like when I would read this text, is like, what's up with the curtain? Why are we talking about curtains? Decorations in a temple while Jesus is dying? And then, oh, oh it's like saying, you know, and the light bulbs burnt out at the, you know, like, what, like why are we talking, huh? Like, what does that have to do with Jesus? What does that have to do with anything, right? And what's the deal with this curtain, okay? If you, if you, you know, grew up reading the New King James Version, it talks about the veil was rent in two. You know what I'm saying? It's so dramatic. Uh, but uh, the veil, it's just another word for curtain. Okay, there was a curtain in the temple, and, and you're, you're like, okay, well, why? Like, what? Like, was God just trying to get revenge? Like, oh yeah, you crucified my son, let me rip your favorite curtain. Oh no, not the temple curtain. You know, like, what's going on? You know, like, I, I'm like, uh, just actually, okay, church, listen to me, once you understand the significance of that curtain, it'll completely change the way that you relate to God, okay? That was not a minor detail. In fact, actually, that statement symbolizes one of the most important shifts from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and I'm gonna explain it to you because it's super cool, but before we jump in, I wanna explain a few historical facts starting with the tabernacle. How many of you guys have heard of the tabernacle before? It's kind of, it's the Old Testament thing, so Moses, in fact, I've got a fancy picture for you, and, uh, uh, like the old, in the Old Testament, you know, Moses let my people go. They left Egypt. They went into the desert wilderness. And, and the whole idea was, is God wanted to live among his people. And so if God wants to live among his people, he's got to get a house. And what kind of houses did they live in? They lived in tents. And so God gets his own tent, but he doesn't get just any tent. He gets a very, very elaborate, huge, ginormous tent called the tabernacle, uh, which you see here. And of course, God was very specific about how he wanted it to work. So he was like, I, I wanted to be like a room, and then a room inside of a room, and inside of a room, okay? So like a triple box, okay? So in the very center of this, you have the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and then you have this other box called the, the holy place, and then you have this other box, okay? So, and, and, and this was very significant. I wanna point this out, because in this little box, the most holy place, look at that little curtain there, okay? And then inside the curtain, there was the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know what that is, just watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you'll know. Um, it, not all of that was biblical, of course, but uh, it was pretty cool, you gotta admit, right? But I, I just, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant is in there, but then there's this curtain, okay? Now, that curtain is kind of the Old Testament version of the curtain that we're talking about and, and, and I'm gonna unpack that, but I just wanted to get you the, the basic idea. God gave very specific instructions about what to do in each one of these rooms, kind of like in the kitchen you cook, in the living room you do what you do in living rooms, but you know what I mean? Like, this is God's house, okay? He's got very specific stuff, okay? And, and so, 
Um, now, you, you go fast forward and you go into the New Testament when God's people made it to the promised land, it's permanent, God wanted a permanent dwelling and that was the temple. So the tabernacle became the temple but it was shaped the same. It was a box inside of a box inside of a box, okay? A room inside of a room inside of a room. You still had the Holy of Holies right here except it got a little more elaborate and the reason why it was so specific is because it was actually meant to emulate how, the, how heaven's throne room is actually designed, okay? So, so if you're wondering how heaven's throne room is designed, there's a holy of holies, a most holy place. It's, it's a box inside of a box inside of a box, of course, except instead of having gold cherubim, you have real life living cherubim, which are throne room guardians in the, in the holy of holies in heaven. And so, of course, they put the Ark of the Covenant with the law in it. The Ten Commandments are inside of the box. And, but, but here, you can't see it because this is a cross-section that removes the walls. But, but <clears throat> separating the Holy of Holies from the Most Holy Place, this other bigger box, is the curtain, okay? And that curtain is not a small curtain, okay? Here's another interpretation. The, the curtain is a 60-foot tall curtain, okay? So this is, like, just to give you a frame of reference, like here at Northtown, our ceiling is about 36 feet, and so you're talking roughly twice the height, okay? So pretty stinking tall. If you're at, like, Historic Wesley, I think that's probably not more than 40-some feet, okay? So you're talking about a really stinking tall curtain um, in the, the most holy place that separates the Holy of Holies, okay? Now, the reason why I, 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 the reason why that's important, okay, is because th this innermost room of the temple, the, the Holy of Holies, the, the only person, th there was only one day a year that someone could enter that room, and only one person could enter that room, and that was the high priest on the Day of Atonement, okay? There was this day called Yom Kippur in Hebrew. Yom means day, Kippur, uh, atonement, right? It's, it's the singular day for the forgiveness of sin. Now, if you're, on a, if you're a Minnesotan, you'd call it Yam Kippur on your calendar, you know? Yeah, I seen Yam Kippur on Tuesday. Um, uh, and, but, you know, it, it, it really just means it's the Hebrew word for Day of Atonement. To make that happen, once a year, the high priest alone would go into the Holy of Holies, the innermost room of the temple, but even he could not enter it without an animal sacrifice first, otherwise he would immediately die. That's what the Lord made it very clear. You can only enter the Holy of Holies by blood. Blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sin, but this curtain that ripped, it separated the holy place from the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. The curtain was essential because it was forbidden to ever look at the ark forbidden to look behind the curtain. Okay, remember in Raiders of the Lost Ark, I, you know, again, I keep referring to this, but remember when their faces all melted? It was really awesome. Was like, you know, when they looked into the ark? No? Yeah, okay. Um, okay, now, I'm not sure that faces would actually melt if you looked into the ark. However, in the Old Testament, 70 people did, in fact, die because they tried looking into the ark in 1 Samuel 6. So this was not an unfounded uh, you know, motivation for covering it up. In fact, whenever they moved the ark, they actually had to cover it with three layers of cloth and leather. That's how serious they were about not getting anyone to look at this ark. 
And, and whenever, so that you, whenever they moved it, they had all this protocol, Numbers 4 or Joshua 3, they would even make all of the Israelites stand at least 1,000 feet back. Why? Because this is like high voltage to them. They don't, wanna, they don't wanna disobey the Lord. And the Lord made it very clear that this is meant to be holy. It's holy, 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 okay? And so the very chest, this Ark of the Covenant, was right behind this curtain, and God made it clear, hey, the Ark is not the only thing that you need to worry about. In fact, actually, anybody who even looks into the Holy of Holies, the room itself, will die if they don't do it in a very specific way. And this was not some vain threat. Again, in the Old Testament, God delivered several times, okay? There were numerous times where people blatantly disregarded God's holy things and died. Like Aaron's sons in Leviticus 10, one of the really dramatic stories, or Uzzah in David's time also died. And so believe me, if you were entering into the Holy of Holies as the high priest, you would have an adrenaline rush. I'm just saying, okay? You would, ha you would have a good holy fear. You'd confess your sin before going in. In fact, one scholar even mentioned at one point in, in, in history, the high priest would even wear a rope with bells attached to it. And so if he died going into the Holy of Holies, the other priest could pull his body out with that rope, right? And how do you know if he died? Well, the bells stop ringing. You know what I'm saying? You get the idea? Okay, that's how serious they were. In fact, they even had to dress a particular way. God had requirements all the way down to their underwear, which also proves that God cares about your underwear. But I just, I just side note, you can interpret that however you want. They, were, they weren't even allowed to look at the ark without smoke and incense, okay? So they, this was, you know, and afterwards they had to immediately show themselves alive to the people, right? Which must have been a great moment. You're like, what do you do? Do you, woo, you did it. You're like, I don't know. Uh, but here's the point, okay? If you wanted to enter the holy place where the presence of God was, the favor of God was, the forgiveness of God was, it could only be done once a year by one person, the high priest, risking death. And so it begs the question, why? Why would God set up this dramatic object lesson? Well, first off, God set this up because he was trying to dramatically show how incompatible our sin nature is with his holiness. And he wasn't doing it to try to be mean. He wasn't doing it to try to give us a guilt trip or try to shame us. He was actually just trying to say, hey, listen, you don't fully understand the extent of damage done when sin entered in the world and when people continue to participate in sin. You don't have any concept of what that does to the universe. And so he's trying to let them understand their, or, or his favor is incompatible with that. If you wanna have intimacy with him, there's gotta be some sort of compatibility that, that needs to be reconciled, and that requires blood. And, and ultimately, he was trying to point to Christ, redemption. But the second object lesson in all of this is God wanted it to be clear to us that his presence, his favor, they're not cheap, and there's a protocol, okay? So let's go back to the Easter story, and then where does this whole curtain uh, figure into this, okay? When God ripped the curtain from top to bottom, you wanna talk about drama? I think God was up in heaven saying, watch this. They're not even gonna know what to do with this. This is gonna be crazy, because again, these stubborn temple leaders, I can't even go there, right? They're not even supposed to look at the ark. And you have to understand, ripping it from top to bottom would be basically humanly impossible in the sense that um, you'd, you, it's capital punishment if you're trying to desecrate the most holy place, okay, so keep that in mind. This happened at noon, noon to three, okay, so we're talking about a 60-foot-high curtain in the middle of the day 
ripped from top to bottom. Why top to bottom? Because God wanted to make it look supernatural. He wanted to make it look humanly impossible that God sovereignly did this to make a giant statement to everyone. And what was that statement? Things are changing. Something has changed with the death of Christ. And you know what that change is? Through Jesus, we have direct access to the presence of the throne room of heaven. We have direct access to his holiness, direct access to his grace. And if you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, anyone can enter at any time to experience the power that he has in heaven's throne room. It doesn't matter what kind of problem you have. It doesn't matter what kind of past you have. It'd be like this, okay? Imagine this, okay? Imagine if you had a billionaire friend who is like more money than they could ever spend for the whole rest of their lives, and they can help you with whatever, and they actually come up to you and they say, hey, from here on forth, I want you to know you have all access to me. Everything I have is yours. In fact, actually, I want you to understand you are never bothering me by texting me. If you need something at 4 a.m. in the middle of the night, here's my private cell phone number. Actually, here's my assistant's private cell phone number, my assistant's 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 private cell phone number, and oh yeah, here's my bank account and a blank check just in case. Access. That's what God is giving us with the tearing of this curtain. Access to the throne of grace. Access. It, it, it just, it changes the way you view Christianity. It changes the way you view God. And, and that is why Hebrews 4.14 says this. I love this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, the real sanctuary, the real holy of holies, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, just yet was without sin, okay? This is what makes him different. In other words, he, he qualifies as being the sacrifice that, that, that enables the high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies, okay? So he's special. Let us then, here's the command, here's the, here's the invitation. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let me say that again. Here's the invite to you and I. This is what the curtain did. It was an invite to the throne of what? What is grace? Unmerited favor. It's, it's favor you don't deserve. It's favor that you don't earn. It's a gift from God. The throne of grace with what? Confidence. In other words, you're not just approaching and asking God for grace and for mercy Mm, I, I don't know, God, I'm not sure how you feel about me right now, and, and, and yeah, the good in my life hasn't fully outweighing the bad right now, so I'm not sure I can even ask you. No, that's not confidence. Confidence so that what? We may receive mercy and find grace. I don't know about you, I could use a little more mercy and grace in my life. I could use a little more mercy and grace in my marriage, in my physical body, in my finances, in my kids, in my, in my drive on the way to work. Come on, somebody. I could use mercy and grace. Well, guess what? You can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You don't have to, you don't have to be scared to approach God. You don't have to be like, I don't know if I'm, you don't have to sit there and like, I don't know if I'm worthy today. You know, like, you weren't worthy ever. 
Okay, let's just settle that. It's not about you. That's the whole point. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And that's why after the curtain was torn, you'll see a constant emphasis on miracles. And in Acts chapter three, Peter sees a man crippled from birth. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. Boom, heals him. Philip, he all of a sudden, in Acts chapter eight, he heals a paralytic. And then Peter, again, in Acts chapter nine, he raises a little girl from the dead. And then Paul, you know, and then the same chapter, he also healed a, another guy who, who is lame since birth or for the last eight years. Then Paul in Acts, 8, Acts 14, he heals a man who never walked in his life. And then Acts 20, he, he literally raises a man from the dead. I mean, come on. Miracle after miracle after miracle testifies to the fact that we have access. Throne of grace. We have access. And so people ask me all the time, why do you have a prayer team that prays for people after every service? Well, why? Because the curtain is torn. You have access. We want to make sure that you're not just coming to church with a bunch of needs and then leaving with those same needs. How, how silly would that be? We want to make sure that you have a moment where you can approach the throne of grace with somebody else who can actually testify to the miracle that God is gonna do in your life today. Some of you, you didn't even know you were gonna come to church and receive prayer. But listen, come on, approach the throne of grace with confidence. And you know, another reason why we're always encouraging people to join small groups is, is that when you hang out with other people, I always say, you know, the Bible says, walk with the wise, you grow, will grow wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm, right? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You've heard me say that before, right? Well, the same thing is true. When you hang out with people who live as though the curtain is torn, who live with access to God, guess what? That access becomes contagious because the way they relate to God all of a sudden becomes the way you relate to God. And you don't relate to God from this weird, distant, overly hyper-religious, overly formal kind of way. You, you have intimacy with God. And I, I, that's why a lot of our small groups, that's where we see most of our miracles. But ultimately, think about it this way. The, the, body, the blood of Christ flows through the body of Christ. And who's the body? We are, not a church service. You, the blood of Christ, that we sing songs about it, right? It heals. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? The blood of Christ that heals flows through the body. Well, guess what? What degree of connection do you have to the body of Christ? A lot of people have this intellectual relationship with God or, or they have a church service attendance approach to God. But listen, actually the power is in the fellowship. It's in the relationships. It's in the connectivity. So the degree to which you are connected is the degree to which that blood is flowing through your veins and you're experiencing access. That's why I talk about these things so often. And, and, and hear me out here, okay? I'm not saying that God will just do whatever you want in the timeline that you want it, because at the end of the day, you serve God, we, it's not reverse, okay? And, and, and rest assured, though, every time we pray, he is answering our prayer in some way, and a lot of times he's like, oh, loved one, that's not even the prayer you should be praying right now. Actually, I know what will make you happy even more than you do. I'm gonna just take a little creative license and just kind of do it this way. And sometimes the confusion, the distortion, actually is when God is doing something better than you're even asking for. And some of you, you think you know how to bless you? No. God knows how to bless you even more than you know how to bless you, and he's just working it out. He's working it out. And, and, and another thing that I wanna clarify is, is with, the, with the curtain being torn, it does not mean that, that God doesn't care about sin anymore, okay? Because God still does care about sin, but why? Why does God care about sin? Because of what sin does to us. A lot of people think that God hates sin because all of a sudden he's like he's some moody, emotional, judgmental guy. Oh, 
you sinner, you know, like as if, it's if sin changes his emotions. No, sin never changes God's emotions. God loves you the same on, when you're a, on a sinful day as a, as a righteous day. It's not what sin does to God, it's what sin does to you. God hates what sin does to you, and what does sin do to us? Well, think about what sin did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It made them hide. It makes them pull themselves back from intimacy, pull themselves back from favor, pull themselves back from God's presence. Ultimately, the reason why God hates sin is not because it, it affects him emotionally, it ultimately it affects you emotionally. Does that make sense, okay? So I always say, listen, our sin does not affect God's love for us, but it does affect our love for God and for other people. So, so, but even when we sin, come on, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I really screwed up last night. Listen, even when you sin, verse 16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. It has nothing to do with you. We have a, we have a sympathetic high priest. Come on, somebody. That's good news. Stop living as though the curtain is still there. Run to God, not from God. He's more faithful to love you than you are faithful to sin. You need to think about that. And in fact, every week people come to me and they're like, Oh, I'm not sure I can even approach God. I kind of deserve this, so I don't know if I can ask God for favor to get out of the problem that I dug, the ditch I dug for myself. No, stop it. God already knew the greatest thing, the best you could do is fail. That's why he sent his son in the first place, to bail you out. It's not about you. Don't, stop thinking like God is always mad or wanting to strike people down. We act as if God doesn't care, or as, as if God doesn't want to be approached, as if we don't have access. You know what I'm saying? As if he's too holy, too distant, too separate. Listen to me. The curtain was torn because God doesn't live in a tabernacle. He doesn't live in a temple anymore. He, he actually lives in you. You are the temple. That's what's so crazy about this, is that you are literally a portable holy of holies, which is why the Bible says, Start acting like it. You know what I'm saying? Not because you have to, but because it's the least you could do just to stay in sync with the Holy Spirit. And, and when we do that, all of a sudden, we start feeling the presence of heaven. We start feeling the realities of heaven. It changes us from the inside out. All of a sudden, you know, it's like we don't have to follow uh, the law, the do's and don'ts. We follow Christ and the law follows us. You see what I'm saying? Christianity is not an action, it's a reaction to God's love, it just changes things. And I, I just, man, I want, I want you guys to feel that. I want you guys to get that. I want you to receive that today. I, I just, it's kind of one last example of this. I, I just, you know, many of you might remember just a couple years ago, I, I had a um, massive bike accident, went over my handlebars and, and had a massive spinal injury. I lost all feeling in my arms and uh, immediately went to the emergency room and they wanted to do emergency spinal surgery on me. And it was pretty uh, intense because um, this particular surgery for people like me with complications actually has, you know, you can die in this surgery. And uh, um, in particularly, I mean, the doctor even said, hey, I, I, want, I have to do this surgery on you right now. And uh, I cannot send you home or, or you could paralyze yourself. And, um, and, uh, there's a very good chance you will never be able to talk again or swallow again based on your complications, and I need you to understand that. And uh, I remember sitting in the emergency room and hearing those words, you'll never be able to talk again. In fact, actually, there's a good chance you'll never be able to swallow again, and part of it is because I, I, have, I have rheumatoid arthritis that affects my um, vocal joint, which is why I lose my voice a lot. And, um, 
And so a lot of people that get the surgery, a, a, a huge amount of people with my uh, precondition end up, again, losing the ability to talk and swallow. And I, 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 I remember in that moment, I was like, time out, time out, time out. I, I just, I need time for prayer. Honestly, I, I just, I, I kept wanting to go home. And you know, they're like, you can't, we have to do surgery. And I'm like, listen, I, I need to just speak to my wife. And of course it was happening during COVID so they wouldn't allow me to see anybody. I was literally in a in ER room for six hours on my own. And I'm like, I need to be around some godly people to pray for me. And they were like, nope. And I'm like, no, I am going to be around godly people and they are gonna pray for me. And they're like, okay, um, okay. And, but you realize you could paralyze yourself if you do this. And I'm like, I, at that point, I was like, <laughs> I just wanted to give God a little bit of chance, right? So I, I immediately got another doctor and said, okay, well, we can, we can put you in this elaborate neck brace, but no, you have to come back tomorrow for surgery. And, and um, you know, I, I, I immediately went to another surgeon, got another second opinion, and uh, got, uh, the, he basically said, well, okay, I can, I can delay it a little bit, but I'm gonna have to make your life miserable and immobilize you, like you won't be able to drive, you won't be able to sleep, really. Uh, you're gonna have to, you know, have this giant neck thing on, and uh, you are taking risks, but I'll give you a couple extra weeks for the inflammation to go down, but understand, your ligaments are severed in your neck, and uh, you could paralyze yourself if you even get bumped in your car. And, um, and I'm like, well, I mean, I'm a preacher. I, I like, I wanna give God a chance so that I can speak someday. And I'll never forget, uh, like I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm miserable. I've got this neck brace on and I'll, I'll never forget like when my daughters walked into the room, uh, my two daughters came in and of course, I just started weeping. I just couldn't stop. And you know, my, daughter, my second daughter, I don't think has ever seen me weep ugly tears. They've all, you know, they see me, you know, my eyes sweat like most men. And uh, <laughs> you know, but they had never seen me like actually cry ugly tears. And you know, I, I think what actually messed with me the most in the middle of this is I just felt so much shame. And I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I felt, I felt like I wrecked my life. Like Peter, you did something stupid on your bike and you've completely altered the history of your church because of this. You idiot. And I literally just would weep shame for hours. And in the middle of those moments, I just felt like the Holy Spirit would just whisper to me, Peter, you have access. You have access to me. Just surrender in this moment. And then I'd feel the presence of God and then I, you know, all of a sudden I'd be encouraged and then my friends would just text me, hey Peter, I'm praying for you. You guys would text me, I'm praying for you. And you know what was weird about this three months is that I have three months for God to do a miracle. And, and which is a good thing, because you know, God's got a little time. On the, bad on the bad side of that is I've got three months of pondering, will I lose the ability to swallow? In some ways it was like torture, right? And yet you guys were faithful to pray for me. And I, every day, I, every day, I would just remind myself, Peter, you have access. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Every time I would quote that scripture, 
all of a sudden I'd feel like almost like a Holy Spirit buzz. I don't even know how else to describe it. It was just like I could feel the tangible presence of God. And you know what? I, I actually believe in those moments God was actually physically healing me. God was supernaturally doing what he did. And of course, you guys know how the story ends, obviously. I was literally supernaturally healed. The ligament somehow reattached itself and, and it was just, you know, total miracle. And now I can rock out again, you know, like, woo! And of course, you know, my wife still doesn't want me to ride my bike anymore. She doesn't want me to go roller skating, you know, like, or whatever, skateboarding, um, all these things. She's like, no, you're not gonna go snowboarding this year. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, I think about that whole experience and I think about how it, it drew me closer to the Lord. And, and some of you, you're struggling today and you're like, oh, you're stuck in this, why me, why this, why now? Listen, God just wants you to know you have access, you have access. And, and, and I don't know what you're dealing with, but the Bible is clear, one last verse. Therefore, brothers, Hebrews 10, 19 says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is Christ's body. You seen that? It's symbolic of Christ's body being torn on the cross. Since we have that way open for us and since we have a great priest in Jesus Christ over the house of God, in light of all these things, Here's the command. Let us draw near to God. Don't run from him, come to him with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That's what they do, they'd sprinkle a little blood before they entered into the holy place. And having our bodies washed with pure water, baptism, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I don't know what you're going through today, but God wants to give you a story of faithfulness, and you gotta have a test to have a testimony. Well, guess what? I believe God wants you to take whatever it is that you're walking through right now and just hand it over to him so that you can experience joy even despite your circumstances. And so right now, would you do that? Would you just close your eyes? What are you going through right now? What are the burdens you're carrying? What are the things that stress you out? What are you most inclined to whine about? What are, the most, what are you most inclined to worry about? I want you to take those areas, maybe it's your finances, your, your, your family, your, your, your job, your marriage, your physical body, just take that and I want you just to lay it down before the Lord with confidence. God, you see all of the issues represented in this room and represented on those watching online and I just pray that right now we would experience the true miracle that happened through the resurrection, the tearing of your body, and the resurrection life that comes through that. Lord, that, that we would experience access to that favor, not because the good in our lives outweighed the bad, but because the good in your life has overcome the bad in ours. Lord, we just wanna place our faith in you for the forgiveness of our sins and experience the joy and the grace and mercy that you have freely given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And church, if you're agreeing with what I'm praying, then just say this right here. Just repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, I enter into the holy place to receive mercy today. Forgive me, renew me, 
and lead me starting today for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message. 